Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, Emmanuel Church. How are you feeling today? It is truly a joy to be here with you. Hey, super quick, if this is your first time watching online or any one of our physical locations, whether you're joining us here at Greenwood or Banto or Franklin or Garfield Park or Seymour, uh, we want to give you a very special welcome. If you're joining us at one of our e-microsites for the first time, can we give it up to all of our first-time guests today? We're so glad you're here. Someone has been inviting you, relentlessly pursuing you, bugging the you know, crap out of you to come. And you said, yes, you said, yes. I did say crap in church. Okay, we're gonna have to maybe delete that out of the podcast. But anyway, we're glad you're here. Uh, if you're not brand new, welcome back. We're starting a brand new series today called Excel. Can you believe the power of a dollar? I mean, seriously. We asked you guys a couple of weeks ago to drop a dollar, one dollar per family in a bucket. And this week we were able to bless, actually last week we were able to bless Becky Jones at the Banta campus. You guys have, are changing her life. Becky, if you're watching at Banta right now, I know that you said that you love Shay and you love Renika and you love Rachel Long and you love me. I heard you throw that in there. I want you to know that we as a church, we love you and we're so excited to be able to bless you. So can we get up for Becky one more time? I want you guys to share. If you gave a dollar to her, you're going to share in that joy that you saw on her face. Um, and so, yeah, and it's a great way to kick off our series uh, right today. We're calling this series Excel. And let me tell you why we're calling it Excel. We're going to go right into the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. By the way, this is our series about money. Every, every year we do a series on money. So if you're a guest with us here today, don't freak out. I'm not going to like try to get your money from you today. This is for those of us who call Emmanuel home. Uh, we're just glad that you're here. This is our series on money and how to excel in the area of generosity. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. He's writing to a group of Christians in the church called Corinth, this is what he says. But since you excel, that's where we got the name of the series, but since you excel in everything, this church was killing it, this church was doing fantastic in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, their enthusiasm, and in your love that we've, that's been kindled from us in you, he says, since you're doing so well in all these different areas, I want you to also, watch this, excel in this gracious act of, say it with me, Giving. Apparently, apparently the church in Corinth, they were crushing it in so many different ways. But in this one area of generosity, they were kind of lagging behind. I think of Paul in this situation acting like a coach. 
And I always think of my coaches because I grew up playing sports, you know, especially basketball, which is like the best sport. Do you agree? Yeah? Yes, no? Yeah, it's like the number one sport. Uh, but I always think of like my coach at halftime, what he would do. He would come into the locker room at halftime and he would tell us, hey, you're doing great at this. You know, you guys are passing well. You're shooting well. You guys are pl- playing well in transition defense. You're playing well in half court defense. But there's this one thing that we're blowing it on and it's the rebounding. And he would, he would always say that, like, you're not boxing out. Like, we're getting beat on the boards. And he would just kill it, just put it into us, you know? And then we try to come out in the second half and try to get more rebounds. I picture Paul coming into the, to, to, at halftime with this church saying, you guys are crushing it. Your, your speeches are great. Your knowledge is great. Your enthusiasm is high. But man, there's this one area like you're falling behind. You're not giving well. You're giving, but you're not excelling. The word excel means to go above and beyond. It's actually the same Greek word that Jesus used in John chapter 10, verse 10, which we talked about last week. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give it to you abundantly, overflowing, more than is necessary. The word excel is the same Greek word, to go above and beyond. You guys are not excelling in the area of giving. You know, not many churches do, even today. It was a problem back in the New Testament, and it's a problem today. There's not many churches, groups of people who excel in this thing called Generosity, why is that? Well, it's not that deep. It's not that deep. You know yourself, I know myself. The truth is, is we're just selfish. Have you figured that out about yourself yet? It's the cause of divorce, it's the cause of problems, it's the cause of being greedy. It's just, we are selfish people. We come out of the womb that way. Have you noticed? Anybody raising children? After they learn mama, dada, the next word that they, the next word that they learn is what? Mine. <laughs> Mine. I mean, it's just, it's just if you've got kids and grandkids, if you're a grandparent, you're paying attention, those grandkids, they are selfish. I know you think they're angels, they're not. <laughs> they're selfish to the core. When, my, when our kids were little, uh, we used to do this thing called Bible time, and we'd get upstairs and before bed, and we'd go over these Bible verses. And you know, the verse that I would go over and over and over with them was Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. I think I have it for you here, Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of, say it with me, others. And I would pound it and pound it and pound it and pound it until my kids, all three of them, could quote it back to me and I would quote it back to them. They'd quote it back to me. And to this day, if you ask my children, what does Philippians chapter 2 verse 4 say? They'd say, none of you should look out just for your own good. You should also look out for the good of others. We did it in another version. It was like the children's Bible. But I pounded that into them. Why? Because we are naturally selfish. And so we struggle with generosity. We think that giving is actually a loss. Like if I give you something because we're naturally selfish, we, we think about it like this. Well, now you have more and I have less. Why would I do that? That's not natural. What's natural is for me to keep my stuff and accumulate even more and not really care much about you. That's what's natural. So when it comes to generosity, all of us have to make a choice. And I wrote it like this in your notes. All of us have to make a choice to either live self-centered lives or other-centered lives. It is a choice, and most of us are choosing a self-centered life. We really are. Back in the 1930s, during the Great Depression, they kept stats on generosity in America. The average American gave 3.6% of their income away during the Great Depression. Worst economic situation in our history has ever faced. Fast forward to today, Americans give 2.6% of their income. We're slowly 
after decade, after decade, after decade, becoming less and less generous people. Why is that? Back in 2010, um, Christian Smith and Hillary Davidson did a study on 2,000 American families, an in-depth study into the giving patterns and, uh, of, 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 and the way that people live their lives. Here, here was one of the major findings that they, that they discovered. Many Americans, by their own admission, live fairly ungenerous lives. They do not, for example, engage in much or any voluntary financial giving to valued organizations and good causes. They do not volunteer their time and labor to help others in need. They do not extend themselves much in relationships with family, friends, or neighbors. Consequently, they live less, these less generous people also are less likely to be happy, healthy, and leading purposeful lives. The paradox of generosity is real simple. What's natural is to think that if I give, I lose. But the paradox is when I give, we actually gain. There's joy. There's happiness and fulfillment and purpose when we give our lives away, when we lacked and lived generously. Why do we struggle so much? Well, it's the curse of sin. The curse of sin created selfishness. Adam and Eve sinned the Garden of Eden, and they decided to, you know, go their own way and do their own thing. And because of that, they became totally and completely self-focused people. And we are the way we are today because of what happened in the Garden of Eden. And we have to be taught now. It's amazing. We have to be taught to think of others. I just showed you Philippians 2.4 again. Let's look at it again. Philippians 2.4, let each of you not look out to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Can you believe that this isn't a verse from a father to a child? That Philippians was written from adult to adult. Can you believe that adults need to be told this verse? Is anybody else shocked by that? Like, I get children, like five-year-olds, four-year-olds, seven-year-olds. Like, I get that. They're naturally. But 35-year-olds? Like me, you, 45, 50? We need this verse in the Bible? Does it shock you that this verse is in the Bible for adults? Yes or no? Is it, am I the only one who's shocked? Like, I can't believe that we as adults have to be told, hey, 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 take care of yourself. And then could you think about others? Could you, like, get your mind off yourself? Think about other people who are in need and might have some, you know, they might be hungry. They might need help with the rent. They might, could you think about someone else other than yourself? I just, I can't believe that's in the Bible. It has to be in the Bible because that's the curse of sin. And then number two, our, our culture leverages this weakness inside of us. Like, our culture knows that we are inherently selfish. Like when was the last time you saw a television commercial or some sort of advertisement on Instagram or social media that was trying to stir up some altruistic desire inside of you to buy something for somebody else? I mean, I know around Christmas time you're gonna get the Lexus commercial. Anybody seen the Lexus commercial? It is beautiful, gorgeous, clean car, maybe, a little, maybe riding in a little bit of snow with a big red bow on top. And it's supposed to get you to buy the car for your spouse. Like, who's going to buy their spouse a Lexus? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> and I love my wife, but that ain't going to happen. Or maybe a jewelry commercial. Maybe you'll see a jewelry commercial that says, oh, you know, you should buy her this diamond, you know, for Christmas. But other than the diamonds and the cars, have you ever, when's the last time you saw an advertisement designed to tap into some other-centered desire to bless somebody else. Let me tell you, never. Why? Because advertisers know that you wake up in the morning and here's what you think and here's what I think. Me and me and mine and me and my myself and I, let me take a picture of my face and post it. That's what we do. 
And so, that, so they tap into that desire and everything that is hit, at a, we're hit with in advertising is designed to make us happy, make us look better, feel better, you know, look better, whatever. And so it's hard, it's hard to get past ourselves today in the Instagram selfie world that we live in. And so most of us end up living ungenerous lives. I'm so thankful that there's a group of people in this country, 10, 15% of us, that have decided not to go that route. We've made the other choice, to say no to a self-centered life and to live an others-focused life. David Brooks, I mentioned this book a couple years ago called The Second Mountain. He calls these types of people second mountain people. They are people who've decided to get off the first mountain. The first mountain is a, is a mountain of self-fulfillment and a desire to find happiness through achievement for self and buying things for self and being all about yourself. That's the first mountain. A lot of people are on that mountain. He says the second mountain is this other mountain where, where people realize that there's, there's actually a way to find joy and happiness and purpose and self-fulfillment through sacrifice and through generosity and through giving. He calls it the second mountain, second mountain people. Let me read you a little story about some of these folks. Real people, Kathy Fletcher and David Simpson. They live in Washington, D.C. He writes about these folks because somehow he was invited to their house to partake and to watch what was going on there. They have a son named James. James had a friend who would go to bed hungry at night. So they said, well, just bring your friend over. We'll feed him. Well, that friend had another friend who had another friend who had another friend. And now every Thursday night, there's about 26 kids that they feed in their house. Every Thursday. Somehow the author, Mr. Brooks, got invited to this Thursday night event, and he writes about it. Listen to what he says. We normally gather around the table Thursday nights to eat, but in reality, we gather to feed a deeper hunger. The meal is always the same, spicy chicken and black rice. Cell phones are banned be in the moment, be in the now, Kathy says. About a third of the way through the meal, we go around the table and each person says something that they, they are grateful for, something no one knows about them, or some other piece of information about their life at that moment. There are frequent celebrations. Somebody says that they passed the GED exam. Someone's got a job. Someone else graduated from barber school. People also throw out more complicated things on the table too. A 17-year-old is dealing with a pregnancy. Another young woman is, has a failing kidney and Medicaid won't pay for a new one. A young man announces that he's bisexual. Another one admits that he's, a, he's depressed. One day, a new arrival sat at the table and told us that though she was 21 years old, she hadn't sat at a dinner table since she was 11. Most of our conversations are pure affirmation. People have had enough crap in their lives. There, I said crap twice in church. <laughs> People have had enough of that in their lives and need to hear how valuable they are, how much they are loved, and how much they are needed. Often, we just tell jokes and we laugh. The kids sing in their chairs. I brought my daughter one day, and she walked out and told me this. That's the warmest place I've ever been in my life. After the meal, we head over to the piano, and someone will play an Adele song, and people will sing. But the dinner table is the key technology of social intimacy here. It is the tool we use to bond, connect, and commit to one another. I've learned to never underestimate the power of a dinner table. It's the stage on which we turn towards one another for love like flowers seeking the sun. He goes on to talk about how he met over the journey of writing this book over 500 such second mountain people. 
and he came to a conclusion about them, most of them. This is what he says. They are poorly paid and often feel ignored. Their small acts of care go unrewarded, but they find joy in the light that they bring others, and they know why they have been put on earth. And you know, he, I read, you can read about it later if you want to, with the other folks in the book. But I don't know if you felt what I felt when I first read that part of the book about Kathy and David. But when I was reading about that Thursday night event, I felt something inside of me. Something was stirred, like a, a desire to want to be there and participate, to listen to the pain and hurt of kids that don't have a home like ours. People who are struggling with something they can't pay for, depression, suicidal thoughts. I, I felt something inside of me say, something deep say, yes, that's right, to live that way, to give that way, to be part of a circle like that. Like that is what life is about. That is second mountain living. That is a generous life. How do we as individuals move in that direction and step off this first mountain of what about me and what about me and what about me and don't you notice me and how do we move into that area where we find fulfillment and joy and satisfaction through sacrifice and generosity? That's what, I, that's what this series is about because I feel like if we can tap into that, we can learn how to excel as a church in this area of generosity. Let's talk about it. If we're gonna excel in generosity, we have to believe with all of our heart that generosity leads to joy. We have to, that has to be a conviction. Like the true path to lasting joy, not happiness. Happiness is connected with a circumstance or a situation that goes our way. Joy is a pervasive sense of well-being that's not connected to circumstances. How do, we, how do we get there? We get there through generosity. Some of you know who David Brooks is. David Brooks, here's a photo of David Brooks. Maybe you don't. David Brooks was the founder and CEO of Hobby Lobby. You've probably heard recently he decided to give Hobby Lobby away. 969 stores, uh, yearly revenue of $5 billion. The company is valued at three point some billion dollars, I think. I, th I might have got that backwards. Um, pretty, pretty big store. He decided that he was going to give it away, not sell it, and not give it to his kids. It's interesting. I didn't know this, but David Green was the largest donor to evangelical causes in the United States. Forbes magazine said they don't know exactly how much he's given, but it's upwards of $500 million that he's given away. He's given away 50 different properties to churches over, over his career. Most recently, he gave a 170-acre piece of property to Saddleback Church in Florida uh, for a retreat center. Uh, down when, when Jack and I were at Liberty University, he purchased a $10 million facility right off campus and donated it to Liberty University. Now that's the student center. Of course, we didn't have that when we were there. <laughs> Whatever. Um, he, and I could go on and on and on about all, if you use the YouVersion Bible app, anybody use the YouVersion Bible app? It's, it's gonna be at a billion downloads pretty soon. Why is it free? David Green. I mean, it's just the guy is changing the world. He really, really is. He wrote a book, of course he did. <laughs> he, he wrote a book called Giving It All Away and Getting It Back 
again. Listen to what he wrote in the book. I love this quote. He says, as I consider my giving journey, the thing that has surprised me the most is how much joy it has brought me. Listen, he says, I, I, I never could have imagined all the lives that would be impacted. This brings me joy and peace that's hard to quantify. Generosity leads to joy. In his book, David Brooks talks about these second mountain people. Listen to what he says about their joy. He says, the people who radiate permanent joy, not happiness, have given themselves over to lives of deep loving commitment. Listen, given, giving has become their nature and little by little they have made their souls incandescent. They've turned themselves into bright light bulbs through little act of generosity after little act of generosity after little act of generosity. Here's the way Jesus put it in Acts chapter 20. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm searching for joy in my life. As it turns out, it's a paradox. We think that giving is a loss. Oh, I give to you, I lose, you gain. It's the opposite. I give and I gain, and so do you. Wow. Do you believe that? If you don't, you won't give. If you do, you're gonna, be, you're gonna become a generous. You're gonna start to excel in this gracious act of giving. So number one, there's joy at stake. Number two, there's favor at stake. Generosity generates the favor of God. Now, I was gonna use the word blessings, but I wanted to push in a little bit more on this word favor. What does the word favor mean? Favor simply means God has your back. God's looking at you down here, blessing some of his children. He's like, hey, 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 we got one. Let's, let's watch out for her. Let's protect her. Let's protect him. Let's bless them. Let's make sure they have what they need. Why? Because they're acting like us on earth. And God sends his favor down upon generous people. He said, does the Bible teach that? You better, you better believe it does. Listen, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 says this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Now, a tithe is 10% of your income. So if you make 100,000, it's 10,000. If you make 50,000, it's 5,000. You take 10% of your income and you bring it into the storehouse. So they bring it into the temple. There'll be food in my temple. The temple was the Old Testament version of the church. You could make that argument, right? That's where the priests lived. That's where the, ser the, the services were. Bring 10% into the temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. Wow, picture just windows of heaven. God says, blessings start flowing down. How big are these blessings? I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to hold it. That sounds pretty exciting, don't you think? And then God says this. It's the only place in the Bible where God permits this. Trust me, I read this book every year. I go cover to cover every year. I'm about ready to go get finish again because we're coming down the home stretch of 2022. I promise you it's the only place in the Bible where God says these words. Try it and put me to the test. In the rest of the Bible, God says, do not test me, do not put me to the test, but in the area of tithing, in the area of giving, God says, you are allowed to test me. You know, 23 years ago, my wife and I decided to do this with a little encouragement from our founding pastor, Pastor Jim Devaney. He said, you need to start tithing. And at that time, we were making like $40,000. And we had some small kids and a mortgage and a car payment. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So you start looking at 10% of your income after taxes, and you're like, that didn't work. But we decided to trust God and give 10% back to Emmanuel Church. That was 23 years ago. We have done that every single year. And we've gone past the 10%. 
we've put God to the test because he says you can. And we have had so much favor in our lives. My wife, she actually likes me. She's here today. You know, you, you laugh, but that's rare these days. Have you noticed? Everybody hating on each other, getting divorced, cheating on each other. Like, man, we, like, I can't wait to get home and hang out with my wife, you know? We're about to come up to an empty nest. That's exciting. <laughs> and I love my kids. I think they're great, you know? We, we've just had so much favor in our life. You know, my, my kids, they like each other. It's unbelievable. You know, they hang out, they talk to each other, appreciate each other, and it you know, hasn't always been that way, but... <laughs> Just like, wow, there's favor in our life. Next year, we'll have three kids in college, and none of them will be on scholarship. And you know what I'm talking? Can anybody feel my pain there? <laughs> Guys, how in the world are we able to pay for three kids to go to college? I, look, we've just returned the tithe for 23 years, and God has blessed us and given We are not financially rich, but God is providing and meeting all of our needs. We just, we just tested it out. I'm never gonna ask you to do something as your pastor that I'm not willing to go first on, ever. If I'm gonna challenge you to do something, I'm gonna do, we are, Jackie and I are gonna do it first. And so we just believe that, that there's favor at stake. Listen to what Proverbs 11:25 says. The generous will prosper. That's just what it says. Like, do you believe that? I believe that. Like, give and God will prosper you. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. I can't tell you how many times I have been refreshed because I have decided to refresh others. You say, okay, that's Old Testament, Malachi, Proverbs. What about New Testament? Did Jesus teach this? You better believe he did. In fact, he pushed in on it. Listen to what Jesus said. Give and it will be given to you, period. Like that couldn't be any more clear. Give and it'll be given to you. Press down, he says, press down, shaken together, running over will fall into your lap. What does that mean? Well, back in the Old Testament, farmers were not allowed, according to Jewish law, to, 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 to harvest the corners of their fields. They had to leave them for the poor. And so whatever it was, wheat or barley, they had to leave it. And after they were done harvesting their fields, the poor would come, sometimes from miles and miles away with baskets, and they would go to the corners of the field, and they would get down, and they would fill up their basket, and they would press it down, and they would shake it together, and then they would do it again, press it down, shake it together so that they can get as much wheat, as much barley in the baskets, and then they would pick them up, and then they would make the long trek home. And when Jesus says, good measure shaken down, pressed together, running over, he means I will fill up your life so much to where it is overflowing. I will open up the windows of heaven and give you such a blessing that you cannot take it. And then he says this, for the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Now, this is not a financial transaction. This is not, hey, give money to such and such organization or to the church and God will give you more in a month. No, in fact, if you ever hear me say that, run. <laughs> That's not the way it works. I'm not talking about a financial transaction. I'm talking about God's favor. God's favor could show up in your life in this way, a healthy body, a beautiful marriage, healthy children, a raise at work, you know, favor with your boss. You know, there's, there's so many different ways that God's favor, protection when your kids are driving on the highway, or just, just so many different ways that God's favor can show up in your life. I'm not talking about a financial transaction. I hope you know my heart. God says, give and it'll be given to you, my favor. So what's, what's at stake? Joy, 
favor. And then number three, how do we excel? How do we excel in this gracious act of giving? We gotta understand that generosity shapes our soul and the souls of others. There's a transformative effect to generosity. In the book, David Brooks talks about this. Listen to what he says. I love this statement. When people make generosity part of their daily routine, they fashion who they are. Listen, you are a kind of person. You have a soul, and your soul has a form. And it could be a uh, peaceful soul. could be an anxious soul. It could be a selfish soul. It could be a generous soul. It could be an aggressive soul. It could be a passive soul. You're a kind of person. You, and the kind of person you are determines the kind of choices that you make. This is why uh, when you go to fill out an application for an apartment or for a job, what do they do? They do this thing called a what? A background check. Now, why do they do background checks? Because you are a kind of person, a certain kind of person. You're the kind of person that either pays the rent on time or you don't pay the rent on time. You're the kind of person that takes care of the lawn or didn't take care of the lawn. You're the kind of person that played loud music and disturbed the other neighbors, or you didn't. You were respectful, and you turned the music down. And so they call your former landlord to check on what? You! You are a character, and you have a character. The question is what kind, right? This is why when someone uh, fills out an application through the impact team here to serve in our kids' ministry, we do a background check. Listen, you can't just come into a manual and say, I like kids, show me where they are, you know? Just go hang out with some four-year-olds, you know? It's like, okay, slow down, fill out a background check. We gotta make sure you're not a lunatic, okay? And so we do the, aren't you glad for background checks? Yes, when it comes to your kids, okay? <laughs> like, because people have a character and that character is formed. Now, some people believe that you are who you are right out of the womb and you can't do anything about it. That is hogwash. You know, there's really, really smart people who believe that. They're not that smart. You come out of that womb and yeah, there's a sinful nature, but you become someone through the choices and influences in your life. A kind of person. The only question is what kind of person are you becoming? Well, how do you shape the kind of person you are? Through your actions, through the things that you do. We are formed and shaped by the things we do with our lives. And so by one act of generosity after another act of generosity, we become generous people or vice versa. Listen to what Ralph Waldo Emerson said. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an act, reap a habit. Now watch this. Habits are things you do without thinking. You sow some habits, you end up becoming a character. You are the summation of all of your habits, whether positive or negative. And then you sow that character and you will leave a destiny. And you will leave a legacy. The only question is what kind? We become certain people through, the th through our thinking and through our habits and through our actions. And you have a choice. But it doesn't just shape you. It shapes those around you. Your children. And your children's children. You're the type of person who lives a self-centered life and Listen, that's going to impact your kids and your grandkids. You're the type of person who thinks of others and lives an others-focused life. That's going to affect your kids and the grandkids and the great-grandkids. Let me give you an example. Some of you know who Tony Robbins is. 
He's a massively successful personal development expert, motivational speaker. He doesn't like that phrase, but um, that's how he's mostly known. And now he's pretty close to either being a billionaire or he is a billionaire, and he's just been massively successful. I think he's over 60 years old now. And, and I listen to his stuff, and I read his books, and, and uh, he's, made a, he's made an incredible impact on this world. Well, let's go back to a time in his life when he was 11 years old. He tells this story better than I do. It's his story. <laughs> He's 11. Mom and dad are at each other, hating on each other, fighting constantly. Dad lost his job. There's really no income. Thanksgiving Day happens. Knock on the door. There's no food. There's no turkey. There's no money. This dude shows up and says, hey, uh, you know, this is the Robbins household. Yeah, Tony answers the door. Uh, I've got a turkey here, I've got some turnips, I've got some potatoes, i got some carrots, i got some stuff here. We, this, someone told me that you guys didn't have dinner, and so I'm here to deliver this Thanksgiving dinner. So, so Tony, goes, gets, he goes and gets his dad. His dad comes to the door, this mean guy, mean old guy, insecure. He looks at the guy and says, we don't take charity around here. And the guy says, oh, you know, you're misunderstanding. Like a friend has, this is a gift from a friend. They, they knew that you guys didn't have dinner. And he, he, Tony doubled down and says, we don't take charity around here. And he's about to close the door. The dude puts his foot in the door. He's bold, right? <laughs> and stops him and says, look, I'm leaving this turkey here. This is a gift from a friend. And so reluctantly, the dad, you know, uh, receives the gift and they come in and they eat the food. But Tony's father doesn't receive this as a gift, he receives it as a massive affirmation that he is a total, utter failure to his family. He can't even provide Thanksgiving dinner. So he bolts a couple of weeks later, leaves the family. But Tony didn't receive it that way. At 11 years old, think about it, 11 years old, he has this thought process. You've got to hear him tell the story. He does it much better. He's thinking, I can't believe that... The, you would have your dinner, your Thanksgiving dinner, and then you would think about our family, the Robbins family, doesn't have Thanksgiving, and you would come here on your time to give us a meal. How could you do that? And it shaped him. And at 17 years old, you know what Tony found himself doing on Thanksgiving? 17 years, how many 17-year-olds do you think would do this? On 17, he would start going to grocery stores and buying up as much food as he can, asking the grocery stores to give him a discount because he was saying, I'm gonna go feed some people that don't have Thanksgiving dinner. And of course, they give him a little discount. But at 17, he would start delivering meals to people who did not have food, who did not have turkey. And so fast forward, he's over 60 years old now. He's got this thing called uh, Feeding America. Every single Thanksgiving, they feed four million families in 56 countries. They've been doing it so long now, they're approaching a billion Thanksgiving dinners. It's unbelievable. And you know, when Tony's kids were small, he would take his kids with him on the route and deliver these turkeys to families. So it shaped him and it shaped his Kids. See, generosity doesn't just shape your soul, it shapes the souls of the people around you. Some of you were thinking earlier about David Green. Oh, Hobby Lobby, must be nice to be so filthy rich. If I were rich, I'd give away $500 million too. Really? <laughs> really? David Green 
grew up in a family with a mom and dad who were Pentecostal pastors of a very small church. I had a very small income with lots of kids, lots of brothers and sisters. And he was the only child that did not feel called to be a preacher or go into the ministry. He felt called to, be, to go into business. His mom and dad admittedly had very little money, but every single week they returned the tithe. Every single week they sacrificed. And David Green, when questioned, when questioned, how is it that you give all these millions of dollars away to all these organizations? He said, oh, it's real easy. I saw my mom and dad do it. When they didn't have any money. See, people think that giving is for the wealthy. No, it's a privilege of the poor. It's not a luxury for the rich. He said, I watched my mom and dad do it when they had very little. They still trusted God and they returned the tithe to the church. So when I started to make money, it was like, it was not a question. And of course, he went way past 10%. He learned it from his parents. Generosity has a shaping effect. Does this make sense? So I'm thinking about the next generation. I'm thinking about our kids and their kids and my grandkids, great-grandkids. How about you? See, there's joy at stake, there's favor at stake, and there's transformation at stake. My question to you today is simple. What choice will you make? Are you gonna choose a self-centered life, the first mountain life? Come on, everybody's doing that. Everybody's doing the Instagram thing. Look at me and look at my face and follow me and like me and notice me. Come on, come on. That's easy. It's hard to say, now wait a second. Let me start to think about the needs of others. I'm gonna challenge you in this series. My challenge is, is fairly simple. I want us to excel, excel as a church. Right now we're not excelling. We, we, we have about 20% of Emmanuel families making up 80% of the budget. That's not good. Like a coach needs to come in and be like, come on guys, we're doing, passing's great, shooting's great, defense is great, we're not rebounding, box out. That's true of our church. About 20% of our Emmanuel families make up 80% of the budget. And so we're falling behind. Believe it or not, we're falling behind. You say, how could we be falling behind? Well, we're trying to launch a campus in Seymour. We did launch a campus in Seymour. (laughs) It's meeting every Sunday. We're trying to remodel a building there. And it's expensive to do that. And so we're having conversations about money because money is hard to come by because we are not killing it or crushing it in that area. It It shouldn't even be a conversation with a church our size. Absolutely, let's go. We shouldn't even involve a bank. We shouldn't even have to involve a bank, but we do because we struggle. I'm gonna show you a picture of it. Our architect just put it together for us. This is, this is what we're gonna build in Seymour. It looks beautiful. It's just like our, our Franklin campus and just like our, a little bit smaller than our, than our Banta campus. Absolutely gorgeous. It's four million bucks. Now we should be able to stroke a check just right now. We should, a church our size, we should be able to do that. We can't do that. So we gotta figure out ways to challenge you to kind of get more people involved in this thing called generosity. It's gonna happen. It's gonna take longer. We're gonna have to step our game up to do that. We got a campus right now that uh, it's not even really a campus. It's a microsite that meets in Seymour. Last week, there's a group of people in, in, I'm sorry, in Martinsville. I said Seymour. In Martinsville, they're meeting uh, uh, in a YMCA there. 
there's 88 people that met in Martinsville last weekend. It's incredible. I'll show you a picture of it. This is, this is their service last week. They're meeting in a YMCA and they're watching the service on a 60 inch television. And here's the weights over here. It smells like a gym. I mean, it's just, it's like, like I wanna tell Martinsville like, man, we're gonna build you something, but we don't have any more money because this stuff's expensive. I wanna build a campus in Martinsville. We're gonna do the one in Seymour, but it's gonna take some time. But things would go so much faster if everyone jumped on board and started being generous. So my challenge in this series is to get 400 families who are giving absolutely nothing, I mean zero, nada, zilch, not even a penny, to get 400 families that call Emmanuel home to jump in for $25 a week. $25 a week. It's not a tithe. It's not even close to a tithe, but it's a start. You say, what's $25 a week? It's essentially four Starbucks coffees. Did you know a latte is now five bucks? Unbelievable. So four of these, five of these a week. That's what we're asking you to jump, jump in to do. It's about $100 per month. If 400 families did $100 a month, it'd be about $500,000 for church our size. That's unbelievable. That's a game changer. That's a campus in Martinsville. Next year, that's a campus in Mooresville. Next year, that's a campus in, in, in Plainfield. If all of us started to jump in, it doesn't take much. The power of a couple of dollars with a church our size per family is so compounding if everyone would just jump in. Now, if you're like, man, I can't do $100 a month. Okay, well, do what you can. Just do a little bit. Here's the situation. Across all of our campuses, we provide free coffee. You guys enjoy the free coffee? It's pretty good, right? It could be better, but it's okay for free, right? Yeah? But how about the creamers? How about the creamers? I mean, it's like five different flavors. It's just it's unbelievable. Hope you like the creamers because they're expensive. You might be thinking, how expensive are they? Well, let me tell you, for free coffee across all of our campuses with the creamers, it's $80,000 a year. Yeah, that's a lot of money. So. If you don't do jack squat at Emmanuel, you just come in and listen and like, oh, good sermon, good music. And then you leave and you don't give anything, at least cover your coffee. <laughs> just your coffee, just your coffee. <laughs> I think you should go way beyond that. I think you should tithe. I think you should trust God and bring the tithe, bring 10% and, and put God to the test. But if you're not gonna do that, at least jump in the game by texting the word give to 65248. Get in the game. We've got it set up for you. It's so easy. It's set up for a $25 a week gift. You can change it, lower it, make it higher, make it lower, but just jump in. I want you to feel when you walk into this place or when I show you a picture like Seymour's picture or something else like, I want you to feel like, you know what, I helped. I might have only put a doorknob over there at Seymour, but I put a doorknob. Because I, I want you to feel good. I don't want you to feel like a taker. I don't ever want to walk into a place and be like, all I do is just take, I take, I consume. I want to be like a contributor. Like, hey, I, I mean, I'm here, I'm part of this. I help, to, I help Becky Jones pay, make a couple of car payments. Like I help to put this, uh, that, that door or that hallway or that painting or that, uh, that light bulb. I want you to feel like a contributor here at Emmanuel, not just a consumer. Is that a fair challenge? I want to excel in this area of generosity. As we wrap up, I, I just, I can't let this go. We got, we got Paul talking to the sect to the Corinthians. He's saying, hey, I want you to excel in this act of generosity in verse seven. And then two verses later in verse nine, listen to what Paul says. He says, you know the generous grace of the Lord Jesus. 
You guys want an example of generosity? You want some motivation to excel? Just look at Jesus. Though he was rich, meaning that he was at the right hand of the Father, right? Ruling the universe from heaven. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes, for our sakes, he became poor. What does that mean? He descended to earth took on the form of a man. He was born in a stable next to some donkeys and some pigs in the mud. You weren't born that way. That though for he was rich, he became poor. Why? So that through his poverty, we might become rich, not financially, but spiritually. Jesus Christ came to this earth, took on the form of a man, died a criminal's death. That is the poverty he took on so that you might receive eternal life and abundant life so that you might be forgiven of your sins, so that you might have the, 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 the payment, the, the debt canceled in your life. It's called generous grace. It's the gospel. Have you received the generous grace of God? There's no one more generous than God. He gave his son. He gave not money, not millions of dollars, not billions of dollars. He gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that you might have eternal life and abundant life. If you've never trusted in Christ, if you've never asked him to forgive your sins, maybe this is the moment you respond. You ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin. I'm gonna say a simple prayer. It's a prayer of faith. Take these words, make them your own. Reach out to God right now and just ask him to forgive you and cleanse you. Will you pray with me if you feel led to? Just say this to him, dear Jesus, thank you for giving your life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Though you were rich, you became poor so that through your poverty, I might become rich. I believe that. And so I reach out to you today in faith and I trust you. Cleanse me from my sin, wash me, make me your child. I believe you died in my place and rose again to be my savior, to bring me safely home to heaven. So right now I place my life in your hands. Be my savior. And from this day forward, help me to follow your example of generosity. Giving not just my resources, but my heart, my time, skill set you've given me for the benefit of others. I love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer at any one of our locations, we want to celebrate with you. Amen. Nice and loud. Come on, guys. Amen. If you did pray that prayer, we put together a little gift for you. We call it our save box. There's a Bible in here, a coffee cup to say congratulations, some more information about the church. If you would text the word SAVE to 65248, you can grab one of these at your campus at the information desk. If you're watching online, give us a little bit more info and we'll send one of these to you in the mail. One more time, church, can we give God glory, amen? Let us step our game up and excel. There is joy at stake. There's favor at stake. And there's transformation at stake. Let's pray and then we'll hand things off to the local teams. Lord, we love you. Thank you for leading by example. Thank you for your generous grace. Thank you for giving your life that we might have life. Help us to follow your example. Help us to excel. 
in this generous act of giving, that we might see the vision of our church, that we might see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lives changed by the gospel. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. See you next week. Bring a friend.